us to the book of Philippians. And if you don't know where Philippians is, that is okay. It is in the New Testament. So the second part of the Bible, the, the, or, or New Covenant, is another way to, uh, to, to say it. And as you go about halfway through, in all those books that have the ians, you've got, uh, you've got Romans, then you've got 1st and 2nd Corinthians, then Galatians, and Ephesians, then you end up at Philippians. This little treasure of a book that you might skim right past accidentally as you flip through the New Testament. But this book is full of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. This book is about joy. Anyone need joy here this morning? Need to be reminded of the joy to be filled with his joy? Me too. And that's why we chose this book. So turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. And we'll talk a little bit more about the context in a moment. But as you turn there, have you guys ever been to downtown Sarasota? Have you been there recently? Either to uh, Payne Park, been walking around there, or maybe down to one of the restaurants, or the art shows, or... Goodness, what do you got? You got the, uh, the uh, they call it the theater? What do they call it where they have all the... The fine arts and the plays. Oh, Van Weasel. Yes, yep, yep, Van Weasel. Uh, you've got the Bay Park down there. There's a whole lot to enjoy about downtown Sarasota, and I particularly like it. When it's at nighttime, they have all the lights up. You got the lights on, you got the people sitting outside, they've got the lights and the, 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 like the torch-looking things that line the sidewalk. It's just a beautiful scene. It's bustling with people. There's a lot of joy. There's a lot of uh, really good food in the art scene. They've got... Uh, guitarists and keyboardists on the sidewalk giving you some music as you walk by. It's a really enjoyable setting. And uh, we were there on Saturday night and really enjoyed our time down there. But you know what? You walk in front of those buildings and it's really appealing and beautiful and, and scenic and the smells are out in the street. But you know, if you walk around the building to the back side, there's a whole other world back there. And it looks nothing like what you saw out front of the building. You get smells, but they're of a different variety than that gourmet food that you smelled on the sidewalk. And those puddles in the, in the, in the pavement, don't step in those because the smell will stay on your shoes for weeks, right? You're going to see either homeless encampments or the remnants of where people were and now they're out and about looking to, to try to get, get some money to, to get by or to, to get their next fix. And uh, you also have the, the dumpsters back there. You have the big vats of the grease where all the nasty grease that they pull out of their fryers goes back there in a store back there. And if you walk the wrong way down the alley, you might encounter some, some shadowy figures that you, you probably wouldn't want to just walk up to. Unless maybe you have a mission or a purpose. Hey, do you need some help? Hey, can I share the love of Jesus? But if you're just trying to get to a nice restaurant, you'd, you'd probably hurry on by. It's a different world. Well, I bring that up because the thought crossed my mind. How can this be the same city block? On one side of the street, you've got the wealth. And you've got the food and, and the art scene. But on the other side of the building... I mean, you don't want to spend five minutes there. You're just trying to rush through, to hurry through. How can that be the same place? And that thought crossed my mind as I approached our passage today, which is Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 to 30. Because I think it actually is a really good image of the Christian life. 
and what we pray God would do in our lives. You see, we were all born in the alley. Dirty, stinky, not pleasing in God's sight because of our sin. But Jesus did a remarkable work. And he takes those from the back alley and he brings them into the light. He brings us where there's joy and there's dancing and there's feasting because he changes the inward heart. And we're going to read these verses. And I want you to think about, has that happened in my life? Where I have turned from my sin and the darkness of my past and I have stepped into the light. Jesus has saved me. Because if so, there's a difference. And we're going to talk about the difference today. So let me read those verses for us. Philippians 1, 27 to 30. Paul says this, also the Spirit of God working through Paul. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation. And that salvation is from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him. That's, that's minimal. That's basic understanding. You should believe in Christ, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had. And now here that I still have. So if you haven't been with us in the previous weeks or are not that familiar with Philippians, you might not know what conflict Paul is talking about. Excuse me. What conflict he's talking about or why he's absent from the church of Philippi. It's because he's in prison for telling people about Jesus. For not living like the world. For living differently. For that reason, Paul is thrown in prison. His life hangs in the balance, humanly speaking. God's using it all for good. He's already led numerous guards to faith in Jesus Christ. God's, God has a revival breaking out in the prison. And, and Paul is pastoring these, these soldiers that he's chained to. Really weird church. You know, you might not, you might not think of that as a, as a church you would voluntarily want to be a part of. But look what God does. Look what he's doing all the time. And Paul says, to live is Christ if it costs me my life. If it means I'm bound to have been changed the rest of my life, as long as Jesus is glorified, as long as people see Jesus working through me, it's worth it. Now then, he helps the Philippians to look outside the prison walls at their circumstances and at their lives. Don't just focus on Paul. Oh, poor Paul. He's going through a lot. And, and he's really got to take a stand for Christ in this harsh world. He says, look in the mirror. What about yourself? He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. Have you thought about how your life portrays the glory of Christ, the beauty of our Savior? Because we're citizens of heaven. We might live in North Sarasota, and the Philippian church might be residents of Philippi, and they might be proud of that citizenship and have all the rights and privileges, but Paul says, no, no, no. Think higher than that. Think about the kingdom that is coming into the world through our Lord Jesus Christ and let that be our manner of life as we walk. So our main point this morning that Paul just told us we well, take to heart because everything else flows from this. We walk worthy 
because we possess a worthy gospel. And by we, I mean followers of Jesus Christ, those who have been saved, the saints. We walk worthy because we possess a worthy gospel. Now, you ready? Let's dig in. Here's why we walk worthy. First of all, we believe that our actions matter. Our actions matter. Verse 27, Paul says, only. What, what does only mean? Like you're holding up one finger and you're saying, this is the most important thing. Get this right. Don't skip past this. Don't excuse it away. And even in the Greek, this word comes before the verb, which in the Greek language, the verb always comes first. But if you front something in front of the, in front of the verb, it's for emphasis. So not only can you translate this word only, and it has emphasis, it is double emphasis because of its placement in the sentence. Get this, reader. Don't worry about Paul. Paul is fine. He's in Jesus' hands. But what about you? This is the one command. Uh, commentator P.T. O'Brien says this. Paul does not give us a list of commands and do's and don'ts. He gives us one command that covers every aspect of our life. That's not intimidating at all. And here's the overarching principle. Walk worthy. Or how, how you could translate that from the Greek, uh, because it's a compound word. To walk worthy, it involves the word polis, city. You know, Superman, metropolis, okay? So there's that, that Greek word, polis means city. So what does that mean? It means that one is to conduct themselves in reference to their surroundings, their community, their citizenship. And Paul just got done talking about how if we're in Christ... Our life belongs to him. Our citizenship is in heaven. We'll talk more about that even later, Philippians. And if that's true, then we are to walk as citizens of heaven while we're here on earth. That's why Christians are so weird. We're looking up, but we're stooping down to serve. We're the people in between. And our actions matter. That worthiness it's, it's like if you were to look at a beautiful work of art, and would you display that art in a pile of trash, or do what some of those protesters are doing and throw a bunch of mashed potatoes on it, or would you display it in an art gallery on the wall with the right lighting and the temperature and the atmosphere so people could stand and, and admire? Paul is saying, you know, the Christian life is a little bit like that. God designed it. So that we would be the physical representation of Jesus to our neighbors. Jesus, the risen Lord, is in heaven reigning over all. But he sends his Holy Spirit into his people so that we show Christ to those around us. We are the mercy and the aroma of Christ to those perishing around us. So that's why we walk worthy. Because we have the life of Jesus. We have the hope of Jesus so let your light so shine before others. You heard that before? The Sermon on the Mount? You have Jesus. We have something to share with others. Now, some people take this conduct a little too far, and they say, well, if we're to be an example of Jesus to our community, then we need to dress differently, like, like skirts and suits. Okay? we got to stand out that much from the world. Or we have to have our hair really long. Or we have to have our hair really short. Or you can't have tattoos. Okay? Or you can't have a bunch of, of jewelry and rings. And 
I, I don't see that anywhere in Philippians. Did you guys, did you guys see that? Okay. I, I'm just making sure. It's, it's not just me. To walk worthy is the actions that we take. Not the kind of car you drive. Not, not where you live, but how you walk. Jesus walked from village to village to preach the gospel of the kingdom. Everywhere we go, we are living examples of what the power of God's kingdom can do to change someone's life. Don't underestimate yourself. You think, well, I'm not an eloquent speaker, and I, or I can't sing, and my, my prayers aren't really fancy or powerful. What can I offer? Only the life-changing power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's all. You have something to offer in God's kingdom. So live as a citizen of heaven. And Paul says this shouldn't matter whether I'm with you or if I'm still in prison. That's the beauty. That's why Paul can say, whether I live or die, glory to Jesus. So whether I come to you or I'm stuck in prison and I don't see you again in this life, I'll see you in heaven, that shouldn't matter how we walk. You're not doing this for your pastor. You're not doing this for what your neighbor thinks of you. And that's where that dumpster and, and restaurant analogy comes back into play. Have we got tripped up into thinking, oh, my Christian walk is how I look to other people. Like, I'm the reason. I need to worry about what they think of me. <coughs> or I just want them to see Jesus in me. It's a very, very big difference. And it keeps us from having those dumpsters in the back alley. Because we're striving to be like Jesus in every part of our life. You don't do it to put it on Instagram. You don't do it to make a show. We do it because the gospel is worthy. Did you catch that? Yeah. To live worthy of the gospel of who? Jesus Christ. Not my gospel. I didn't come up with this good news. Are you kidding me? This is unbelievable. It's, it's almost too good to be true. And I thought about, you know, every week we're, we're trying to share the gospel in, in many different forms and share from different passages of the Bible. But you know one thing I haven't done is just read a passage of scripture and let scripture share with you the gospel while magnifying Jesus. And here we are in Revelation chapter 5. And we see the throne room of heaven. We see what's going on right now. In the presence of God and what will come in the future. And it's powerful. It's glorious. This is heaven. This is where God sits and dwells. And where we're to fix our eyes. Starting in Revelation 4.11. Here's what John tells us. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things. And by your will, they existed and were created. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Why? So that we would know his glory and enjoy him forever. It's right there. Revelation 5.1, continuing. Then I saw in the right hand of God, him seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And God created us for communication. That he could bless us. That we could multiply throughout the earth. But you'll see in Revelation, God also has to judge now because there's a problem. Let's keep reading. Verse 3. And no one, no one in heaven or on earth 
or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. There's no one worthy or righteous in this world. No, not one. We are all sinners and we've all fallen short of God's glory. No one deserves to hear from God. No one has the right to stand in his presence. We have fallen. Verse 5. Then one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. For behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne of God and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. And he, the lamb, went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. For a second time, you'll see me kind of <laughs> um, keep, keep moving here through the passage. Who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Verse 9. And they sang a new song. Saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. Why? Because you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. What did Jesus do that was the most loving act, the most worthy, the most noble act in all of human history? He laid down his life. The just for the unjust. The worthy one for the unworthy. To him be all the glory and praise. And people every language, tribe, people, and nation. Verse 10. And what did he do with them? And you made them a kingdom and priests to our God. He lifted them up. Give them a heaven and a citizenship. And they shall reign on the earth. Did you know that? Saints will one day reign with Christ. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands. All of them saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And then every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them. Saying that same song. Do you see the throne room? That glimpse we have of right now what's going on. And if every creature in heaven, the angels, the cherubim and the seraphim, the elders, who I, I take and understand to be representatives of the church, and then you have John, who's, who's there worshiping and falling down as well in this, in this vision. He's, he's seen Jesus on the throne. If all of them are saying Jesus is worthy and they're bowing down, it's changing their language, it's filling them with joy, they're coming together in unity. If it changes them, how do we now live? What a beautiful gospel we've been given. What a beautiful Savior. You'll never meet anyone like Jesus. I promise you that. That's why I've given my life to him. Devoted to Jesus, come what may. No one ever loved me like Jesus. And he makes his people a kingdom and priests. So we represent our true home here in this temporary home. 
in these bodies. So it's kind of trendy these days to say, it doesn't really matter what you do, it's what's in the heart that matters. And I get where they're coming from because there has been an overemphasis on, oh, you can get your salvation if you do good things, if you work hard enough. That's wrong. I, I agree, that is wrong. But on the other hand, what we do does matter because it shows if we've actually perceived the beautiful Savior. It should change us. It should change our priorities and what we wear. Not like you have to wear a certain garment to be holy. We're clothed in Christ's righteousness. But, I mean, I don't want to walk around in inappropriate clothing either and, and cause somebody to stumble. Not that you all would stumble on me anyways, but you know what I'm saying here? People need to see Jesus in our life. There's 700,000 lost people in our metro population area. What if you're the only Bible that someone picks up and reads? What will they see in you? Not perfection. Will they see a little bit of Christ, though? His love, his grace, his truth. We bridge the gap between heaven and hell. And this life is the shot that we've given to reach people for Jesus. Authentic followers of Jesus show the power of God. That's one of the things I love about this church. It's, it's really hard to put on a show here. We get to know each other. It's an authentic community. That means we also know how to pray for each other. We also know how to serve each other. Help each other take that next step spiritually. And we know names of people that we're praying for to reach for Jesus this week. We help them take those steps. So whether you're on the college campus, your actions matter. So live worthy of the gospel. If you're at the workplace, work with honor and distinction, not with greed, not cutting corners. Do it for the glory of Christ. Whether you're in the hospital with a sickness, you know, everyone in the hospital is suffering, but the one who's suffering and knows Jesus has some hope to share. So walk worthy of Christ. If it's midnight and you can't fall asleep, you pull out your phone. Your phone can do a lot of things. There's a lot of temptations. There's a lot of opportunities. You could do anything you want. And your phone is the portal, or there's probably other opportunities in the area as well that, that, are, yeah, that, that you're aware of. Do you recognize, even at that midnight moment, no one else can see you, but Jesus is still on the throne. And after all he's done for us, can't we walk worthy of him in this moment? He'll give us the grace to say yes to him. And when I fall short, and I will fall short, and so will you, I can fall on Jesus. Because he's still worthy. So people can still see the gospel at work in you, even when I say, I messed up, I'm a screw up, I repent. Oh, I, I haven't heard anyone say sorry before. Everyone just excuses their sin. We repent. We turn to Jesus. We walk worthy because we possess a worthy gospel. Here's the second thing Paul tells us. Because of the gospel, we team up. If we walk worthy of the gospel, we team up. Verses 28 to 30. What is the church supposed to do? We're supposed to stand firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So that, that standing firm, what, what's he talking about? That, that one mind, that one spirit. Okay, he's talking about our attitude and our mentality. What's our mindset? It's another way you could translate this. Our mindset needs to be focused on the gospel. We're not a church focused on a bunch of different preferences. 
or uh, a bunch of different methods for doing things. Well, my church did this, or in my experience, we did this, and we all come and our minds are all in different places. Hey, we're here because of Jesus, because of the gospel. And a church that forgets that scatters in a hundred different directions. It really shouldn't surprise us when we hear of church splits, church hurt, church trauma, pastors running away from churches, churches running away from pastors, you name it. That's what happens if our mind isn't on the gospel. It's the whole point of having church, isn't it? We're staying firm. And we contend for the faith. We're fighting for the faith. Hey, men that were in our men's Bible study on, on Wednesdays, Jude 1-3. Contend for the faith. This is a manner of life. What does that mean? Well, I think of one of my favorite movies, Gladiator, okay, where you have Maximus Decimus Meridius, right, captain and, and com, or general and, and, and commander of the armies of the north, and he's serving the emperor in the Roman Empire, and he's at the top of his game. In fact, the emperor is like, hey, I want to I make you my, my guy to take over after me. And he's like, no, no, I just I came to serve you, and I want to go home. Well, he ends up being betrayed. I won't go through all the details and spoil it for you, okay? But he ends up being betrayed, and, and he ends up being a slave, a gladiator fighting in the arena. Okay? But, well, here's, here's what's different about Maximus. All the other gladiators, all they've ever known is you get put in the arena, and it's a battle to the death. Every man for himself, kill, kill the wild animals, kill the other gladiators, as long as I'm the one standing at the end. Maximus comes into the arena, and he tells the guys around him, hey, if we work together, we get out of this alive. They contend together. So then he starts commanding them like soldiers. They have formations. They work together, not against each other. It's crazy. These guys have nothing in common. You would think they would just be fighting for their lives. No, they're contending for something greater. They're even watching out for each other's back. They become a team. That's the kind of mentality the church is to have. Not to be gladiators, not to be literally chopping people up, but to stand together. Because we're not just going to survive this fight. Jesus has assured us the victory. So why are we so busy turning on each other? We're together in this because of Jesus. So let's work together. Let's think the same way. It's all about Jesus. And this community is just a group of people coming together to glorify Jesus and to reach others with that same hope of the gospel. We have one king. We're citizens of his kingdom. We're one church. So if you were Satan and you wanted to divide the church, what would be your first step? Gossip would be one. Hey, did you see what so-and-so did? Focus off the gospel. You're spreading rumors. Or, I, I thought that worship service was pathetic on Sunday. You know? Or, or, or shorts were too short. Yes. Yeah, there you go. Or, did you see those, those pastor's kids? Me messing up, misbehaving over there. Get that out of here. There's no place for pastor's kids in this church, right? That's how it starts. Or, if I was Satan, I would probably just try to get someone to love something else more than the program that God is doing. And make them think, make that Christian think they could do it on their own. I don't need community. 
I know. Scripture calls me a sheep and a lamb, and I need the shepherd, and the church is a gift for my good. Broken people, imperfect people, but, but designed to help us grow. I think I can get by on my own. You're isolated. So how do, you, how do you contend side by side and face the attacks head on when you're off in the corner on your own? Don't stand alone. You need to be connected to a gospel community because actions matter and because we are called to team up to show the glory of God together, citizens, plural. And when people come to church or when they come to small group, or they see you interacting with a brother or sister out in the community and say, what is different about those people? It's, it's like they're on the same team or they're part of the same family and they've got nothing else in common. It's because we do. It's because of the faith of the gospel. We're not striving for Living Hope Church. We're not striving for North Sarasota. We're striving for the faith of the gospel. Do you know that's the only time in the New Testament that phrase is used? taking notes you might want to make note of that out of all the phrases paul could use strive for jesus strive for the kingdom no he says strive for the faith of the gospel what do you put your hopes and your dreams in if i put my hopes and dreams in anything that has to do with this world it will fall short but if i live as a citizen of heaven that's where my hope is heaven is my home jesus is on the throne he's going to see me safely through if that's my focus then we win. Those dreams come true. It's the most amazing good news. And it's the gospel. The gospel, the gospel, the gospel. I love seeing God's people come together like pieces of a puzzle. And we can show a bigger picture of what God is doing than we ever could alone. You're all beautiful pieces. God designed you. But you know what? You look a whole lot better together. Just like a human body which is another analogy Paul uses for the church. Hey, arms are nice, legs are nice, but to have just a leg and nothing else, that'd be gruesome. It's unnatural. But to see the body come together, that's beautiful. That's something. At Living Hope, we lean into this fact. We lean into gospel community. When we gather together on Sunday morning, we lift up Christ together so the whole world can hear we join forces in men's and women's groups so we can sharpen each other and encourage each other and provide a safe place to struggle and to grow as a woman of God, as a man of God. We gather in small group communities because we are called to help make disciples, which means growth is a community project. You can't sit in a service for one hour on Sunday morning and think this will get me through this week. We need each other all week long. We need the word all week long. We need prayer all week long. To be fully devoted to Jesus takes community. It takes mentoring. It takes accountability. It takes love. It's awfully hard to love when you're not with one another. Or at least taking the time to check in on one another throughout the week. I can't wait to see what God does with this new gospel community starting in Lakewood Ranch. So excited. Because just the fact that we have people saying we're available, we're willing, you can find us here, hope meets here, God can use that. God's going to use that in amazing ways. 
And I pray he'll use our small group to continue to do that in amazing ways. Then you see, Paul says, contend together for the faith. And as you contend, you're going to see the opposition in front of you. But don't be frightened. Don't be frightened in any way by your opponents. He's using the idea here of a startled horse. You know, if something spooks a horse, goodness, that massive creature can get going in a hurry and cause some damage. Is don't be skittish. Don't be startled. And I, and I, I read that in, um, in the Christ-centered uh, commentary on Philippians, that idea of not being frightened because we will get opposed. We will have people that confront us to our face or talk bad about us behind our back or the government will crack down or just the, the mentality of the culture. And you look at it right now. Sex is for marriage between a man and a woman. You, have, you, you know how many people want to stone me right now just because I'm saying that's what the Bible says? This is God's design? The second you make a statement, you have opponents. The second you say, my children are gifts of God, their lives matter, <coughs> I should treat them well, I should raise them well, we should care about unborn life we should care about born life we should care about senior adult life all life matters you're gonna get opposition on that but we're not frightened don't get spooked when people oppose us jesus has the final say as long as i'm sticking to the script as long as i'm sticking to the word do it what can they do to us throw us in jail beat us Paul's already shown us, I have joy in jail because of Jesus. You have the same Jesus I do. Don't be afraid. In fact, I encourage you all the more to go out and speak boldly for the truth. And I want to commend our church. I've seen tremendous growth in our group of teaming up for outreach. When we go out and we do the hard thing of starting a conversation with somebody that might not be favorable to Christianity. And, and I, I've even seen it recently where someone has been, you know, kind of pushed around and, and bullied for, you know, oh, you're not articulating that exactly right. Or, you know, I would say this. And, and it's jostling. It's jarring. But then the church comes together and says, hey, you know what? It's okay. We're here for you. We talk through it. We pray through it. We encourage each other. And then that opposition becomes a learning opportunity, a growth opportunity, an opportunity where God uses that for good. So we can go back out again. But if you go out alone, it's a lot harder, a lot more discouraging. Don't go it alone. Team up. Because we walk worthy, because we possess a worthy gospel. Here's the final thing. And Paul will be done, and I will be done. We rejoice in suffering. We rejoice in suffering. I sound like a crazy man. So does Paul. Because if I took a survey of this group, most or all of us would say salvation is a gift from God. God forgives sins as a free gift. It's a beautiful gift. You should accept it. It's absolutely true. But Paul says it was also granted or given to us to suffer. Okay, thanks, God. I think I'm going to let someone else pick up that gift. I think he's got someone else's name on it. I'm going to keep moving this way 
Because I thought, if I follow God, my life should get easier. I shouldn't have so many hardships or obstacles. Maybe I'll get more money. Fame. I, I can leverage this kingdom identity to advantage myself on this earth. No. Suffering is a part of the Christian journey that is a gift. Because God is not absent or cold or distant. He's the sovereign one who brings about even the worst circumstances for our good and for his glory. For the sake of Christ, is what he says in verse 29. So you might say, well, why do I have to go through so many hard things? It seems pointless. It's never pointless when our focus is on Jesus. If Jesus is glorified, then Lord, you, you can touch my health. You can touch my wealth. You can touch my schedule. You can touch my, 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 my finances. My family? God, is my family at peace in your control? They are. However God leads us, we face hardships because, remember, this world is not our home. The brokenness still pulls on us. The brokenness pulls on your neighbors. You see it all around. We're not home yet. But as we go through life and as we face hardships and we use those opportunities, we grow closer to Jesus like never before. It causes us to look through the shadow of this world and we look to the certainty of what's to come and the hope and the joy fill us even as we go through some of the hardest things known to man. I know people right now that they've lost their baby boy, 11-month-old son. Or, that, or a church planner family. I told you about, I think last week or two weeks ago, died in a plane crash. I mean... He was the pride and joy of his family, his church, everyone who relied on him, and he's gone. But here's the thing. God is using physical pain to show us Jesus in a light where we need to see him. Going through physical pain, you get to see that Jesus is your comforter. Financial loss sets you back, you'll see how Jesus provides. What about church hurt? People that claim to be Christians, and they hurt you worse than the world ever did. You see Jesus as the healer. Persecution. You see Jesus as our help and our power. You see, conflict is not our biggest problem. Conflict is an opportunity to embrace and declare what we value most. It's Jesus. My Lord and my King. And the worst thing this world can do to me is take me out. Ha! I'm a Jesus. You can't take me out. You can kill the body, but Jesus is the one who controls the soul. That's why when Jesus opened up his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, he talked about the blessings that come to children of God. But listen to how he phrases it. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That means that you have to be humble. Blessed are those who mourn. That means that you've gone through some really difficult things. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Blessed are those who are pure in heart. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. I won't be persecuted. 
Blessed are you when others revile you, persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. Jesus, where are you going with this sermon? This might, this might be like the worst sermon intro ever, unless you take it in its context. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Jesus, you can take my life because I know one day you're going to give it all back and I will rule on this new heaven and new earth with you. Oh boy. Worth it. Worth it. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. You think you can't find it in your heart to forgive that person? It's too hard. What they've done to you, that hardship, I can't let it go. You can't let it go and give it to God because he will give you mercy. In other words, folks, as long as we have Jesus, we're not lacking anything. There's no hardship we can go through. That's not worth it. As long as he goes with us and is with us on the other side. So we let our light so shine before men. So we please our king above all because he is worthy. We walk worthy because we possess a worthy gospel, even in the suffering. And as I conclude, and we wrap up here, as we consider this message before us, I want us to take real steps of application today. And this is between you and God. I don't know exactly where you're at or how Paul and the Holy Spirit are using this to work in your heart. So I'll just ask some questions. And whichever ones need to sit and rest in your mind, let it do so. Are there sins and patterns in your life that are holding you back from enjoying Jesus and showing him to others? Ask him a question. Are there sins in your life holding you back? Next question. Are you digging into God's word simply for the reason that you want to know God more and love him? Is God's word precious to you because of who's speaking? Third question. How are you scheduling your week for the purpose that others would see Jesus in you? Yeah, we can schedule our week to get things done. But how are we scheduling our week so that others can see Christ in us? Last question. How do you think you could better team up with the church? We've got a next steps table. We have opportunities as a church. Maybe that answer is outside of this church. Maybe it's with, with a ministry, with a neighbor. But how can we team up so as to reach more people for Jesus, so to give God all the glory? I'm going to give us just a moment to reflect and pray and seek the Lord right there in your seat. You talk to the Lord.